The following is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, welcome to another episode of Life as a Life Schooler. I'm Danielle Papasorgio. And I'm And we're really excited today to be able to interview Dr. Mary Hood. And I'm going to start with the bio to let you all know a little bit more about her. Mary Hood, PhD, along with her husband, Roy, homeschooled their five children all the way from kindergarten through college entrance. All of them are now adults and have made a successful transition to college and beyond. Beginning in the 1980s, she has spoken and written widely on a variety of topics concerning home education throughout the United States and overseas. She has a PhD in education and is the director of the Association of Relaxed Christian Home Educators, aka Archers for the Lord, reference Psalm 127, which is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. She has also been a regular columnist for the Old Schoolhouse magazine. Mary is the author of such books as The Relaxed Home School, The Joyful Home Schooler, and The Enthusiastic Home Schooler. Welcome, Mary. We're really excited to be able to talk to you today. Glad to be here. So let me know a little bit about what prompted you to homeschool back in those early days when this was a pretty radical thing to do and there were very few others doing this thing we now call homeschooling. My original reasons uh, had to do with my oldest son. He was one of these kids who was uh, very, very advanced intellectually. Uh, going into first grade, he would have been, you know, his favorite author to be read to was Jules Verne, and he was trying to read Jules Verne himself already. Uh, he was way, way, way past the stages of beginning reading instruction, um, and yet, as a small boy, um, he was not really ready for the social interaction part of a, of a school setting, especially one that was mostly sit-down instruction, and so I was really wrestling. He had been in a variety of little kindergarten programs, and there was always issues. Um, he, he never, he's not the type to get in trouble himself, but he was always the type to enjoy when somebody else was doing something wrong <laughs> and uh, do a lot of laughing and, you know, and just other disruptive things. And then he was just on a different wavelength. I remember one time in a kindergarten classroom, they were going around going A is for apple, B is for ball, and so forth. And they got the F is for fish, and he kind of dissolved in this, you know, manic stage. And luckily the teacher knew us and wanted to get to the bottom of it and found out that it was because it should have been G is for gar, which is the type of fish it was. So I just knew that, you know, entering into a normal school environment was not really going to work, but back then there just weren't that many options. I had known one homeschooler once, and she was a weirdo. She had long granny dresses. She pulled her kid for strange reasons, and they were the least socialized people I've ever met in my life. And that was my impression of homeschooling, um, the little bit, you know, that I'd ever heard about it before. And so never, it was not something that crossed my mind to do. So we uh, researched, we were just moving from one state to another, uh, from Mississippi to Alabama. And um, in Alabama, they were just entering into a pro- program called Excellence in Education, which basically meant they were going to cut out all the recesses. So I went, at, I researched the best school, the best gifted program, blah, blah, blah. I went and rented a house two blocks away and thought it was all set, and then I went and talked to the people, and they were saying things like, well, if he tests into our gifted program in April, given that this was August, uh, then he'll get two hours of special instruction once a week. In the meantime, you know, it won't hurt him to go over some of this again, meaning things like phonics. And I went, I don't think so. And (laughs) prayed really hard about it, and uh, an article happened to appear, happened to appear, uh, right. Sunday before I would have entered into, coll- into, into college, into uh, kindergarten, excuse me, first grade. And uh, the article is just about how in Alabama at the time you didn't have to put your kids in until seven. He was only six. And, um, and that there were some people keeping their kids out. And it mentioned a few names and stuff. And I just, you know, I kind of turned in at the zoo. I remember we were walking through the zoo that Sunday and said, hey, how'd you like to stay home with me this you know, year? And... And he, he said, sure, fine. Uh, and my husband looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> so later he went around a, on a fishing trip and walked around the lake muttering to himself. <laughs> and, uh, 
luckily he didn't voice much of that to me uh, at the time. He just kind of deferred to me to uh, make the decision about the education because I was in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so that's how we got started. And, you know, uh, we just, uh, after that point, I started researching, reading a lot of John Holt and Raymond Moore and other people that were popular uh, writers at the time. Mm-hmm. And just decided it was the right thing for him. But then I struggled with my daughter, who was two years old, or younger than him, who was a very social kid and would have slid right into the public school, no problems. So I kept her in kindergarten for a little while, and then that got really schizophrenic. Uh, you know, going to the zoo or something fun with Sam, and having to come back and drop her off and pick her up from kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So um, those were little private kindergartens at the time. Anyway, about midway through, I pulled her out, too, and we basically stayed home schoolers all the way through with two small diversions. One was uh, Sam in seventh grade went to public school. Uh, I viewed that as a unit study in public school. He wanted to go on <laughs> how long he'd stay, so uh, <laughs> anyway, he came back home by Christmas, and I could talk for another hour on my experiences there. I'm sure. <laughs> and then went into a Christian private school in eighth grade, primarily over baseball, and I really thought he was going to stay. Uh, back in those days, we had nothing for those people who really were dedicated professional athlete types. Mm-hmm. I thought he'd stay. Yeah. But he's a very take-charge type of kid, and basically as soon as he figured he wasn't in control of anything anymore, he came back home too on his own volition <laughs> and, uh, and immediately stopped playing baseball and never has played since except just, you know, fooling around ball with friends. So um, those were our two excursions. My daughter, who was in between those two, uh, wanted to go at ninth grade and I didn't let her. And that wasn't a boy-girl thing. It was looking at them as individuals. And she was the kind of person that, in a way she was strong, but in another way she was so social that she turned... You know, she sat next to person A, she became person A, sat next to person B, she became person B. And I just didn't think that was the right timing. But I told her that if she would do X, Y, and Z for me, um, that I would let her go away to college early. So that's what happened with her. She, she left for college when she was only 16 uh, to a live-in college two hours away from me. Hmm. Uh, and that that was a good a good compromise, if you will, for her. But she, did, I did not let her go to public school, even though she wanted to. And the rest of the younger ones, it never came up. We had Resource Center by then, and um, they did a lot of stuff there, and a lot of stuff at home with me. And they, never, none of them ever wanted to um, to do anything like that. So that's that's great. I love hearing about people's stories, and I think every family has. Well, obviously, every family has their own unique story and their own reasons for. Um, for going on this homeschooling journey. And I thought, you know, I kind of laughed a little bit when you said, I just happened to read this this article I think you were talking about. It's I love the way, isn't that how it is? It's like these things just sort of come into our lives. Like we just happen to read this or we happen to meet this person. But God brings all of these circumstances together and we don't even realize some of the most um, seemingly insignificant things have such a huge life-altering impact and totally changing our direction. And who would have thought? I'm sure, you know, if you could have seen years into the future, it would have been a shock to know kind of the path you were going to end up taking. I've always thought, too, about the lady who was interviewed for this. I still know her name, but out of privacy concerns, I won't say it. But Mm -hmm. uh, I've often thought about her because she wound up not becoming a homeschooler even. She she basically kept them out until seven or eight and then put them back into public school. But she was the one that influenced me to originally pop in. And I, in turn, have influenced probably thousands of people by this time, you know, uh, by speaking at first, yeah. especially years ago when I used to do a lot more of that and writing books and so on. And so she has no idea of the impact of just being willing to have been interviewed. Hmm. And at a time when she could conceivably, you know, if she had kept doing it after age seven, she could have conceivably been thrown into jail. Right. And she was willing to go for a public interview. And the, the amount of impact that that woman had on the homeschooling movement without even realizing it and without even becoming a homeschooler, right. to me, is just kind of, it kind of reminds me that when I think sometimes that sometimes the things I do, uh, you know, don't, aren't that well attended or mm-hmm. especially locally, I do something and two people show up and then I get discouraged. 
but then I remember that you never know what one of those two people, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> might, you know. That's so yeah. true. I, I love that, and it's so ironic what you're saying, but the impact, you're right, of just one or two people. I'm trying to remember who it was. I want to say it was, it wasn't D.L. Moody, but it was one of these famous, I think it was David Livingston. He got saved in a church where a pastor had been faithfully preaching for years, I think like 40 or 50 years. This pastor had just been preaching in this little church. And David Livingston was the only person who had ever gone forward in his church for salvation. And you think about, like, the, I'm sure that pastor had to feel discouraged through the years, and yet the one person that God allowed him to, to influence in that way, to, to bring to salvation, changed the world, you know? Like, he had such an influence, and, and so many thousands of people were impacted through that, so... It is really interesting to think about. Um, speaking of this college aspect, I wanted to just touch on that. Um, I know with our current culture, you know, we have so many entrepreneurial opportunities, especially with the internet. What is your take on the whole college question? Is it really, do you feel like it's really as necessary today? Um, I'd just love to hear your comments on that. I think that's an extremely personal thing. I, right. I just have a couple of um, cautions uh -huh. that I would t say to parents. One is that it's really important not to push your kids into something if it's all coming from you, you know? Yes. Um, one of my kids basically took a year off after after what I would have considered high school. He just wasn't there. He wasn't ready. He didn't want to do it. Um, and then when he was ready, bang, you know, he went ahead and, and did it. Um Sometimes I see parents who are almost pushing them into one field versus mm -hmm. another, uh, into one particular college for whatever reason. Uh, by the time they're that age, really your role is a lot more still helping them with boundaries and uh, yeah. expand right. your roof, of course, having a great deal of input into their behavior while they're under your roof. But And, of course, praying, 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 praying for mm -hmm. them. But other than that, uh, you know, once they're adults, young adults, 18 and up especially, uh, and going off to college, this really has to be their decision. Um, and if it's not their decision, you know, they're not going to be as motivated or, you know, or anything like that. Uh, secondarily, I would never just hand a kid a free ride, you know. Yes. Um, right. They need to understand there's a lot of money here, and they need to have jobs mm -hmm. that are at least paying for their extras and so forth. Yeah. And this, yeah. the other caveat, if you will, is that, um, first of all, it's not for everybody. Um, I, I'm working with young, one young man right now. It's just not what he wants to do, and he wants to be a welder, and, you know, I'm very much encouraging him to, to mm -hmm. go that road. Uh, there's another young man that just graduated from our program that, um, that, well, I say graduated from our program. He graduated from homeschooling. He was taking a class with me, mm -hmm. um, and he's going into the military, um, much against his mother's wishes. <laughs> <laughs> but again, at that age, you know, they, they have to make some of these decisions themselves. Right. Uh, so it's not necessarily for everybody, but on the other hand, it can also be a good place to sort of experiment and find yourself as far as what you are interested in. Not everybody knows what they want to do when they're 18. I personally went through about five different majors, I think, in my first four years of college. Uh, and then I wound up with two master's degrees in different areas and stuff. So, you know, it obviously took me a while to figure it all out. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you're going to go that route, of going to college partly to experiment and see what you're interested in, be very careful you go to a college that has a broad enough spectrum of possibilities because, yeah, one of my kids uh, went to, two of my kids went to Toccoa Falls College, which is a Christian Bible school. And then uh, my daughter Laura started out there, but it really doesn't have a broad spectrum of majors. And she, we should have realized that it really wasn't the place for her. And she wound up getting really into art and ultimately graduated uh, with a degree in art history. And that college just didn't have that, so she wound up changing colleges actually twice, hmm. uh, which, of course, often prolongs things and has right. more money. And right. Um, the other thing, and this is incredibly important, especially for girls at the risk of sounding sexist or something, <laughs> but especially for girls, it's really important to be very careful about going into debt. All this student debt these days, 
you know, there yeah. are ways of easing in, maybe through a junior college, working part-time. My youngest son uh, just graduated from college after 10 years. He's been in college for 10 years. <laughs> and the reason was for the last few years, he was working as general manager at a Chipotle's and could only go one class at a time. But that whole last, uh, certainly his whole senior year of college was mostly paid for by Chipotle uh, and oh, wow. him to some extent. And we didn't even, you know, have to pay anything during that time. So um, however you're going to handle it, only one of my kids came out with a student loan uh, out of the bachelor's program. And unfortunately, that was one of my daughters. And it just, hmm. it, it affects your choices later on. You know, she's a, she's a mother now with a one-and-a-half-year-old. And I believe that, you know, if she had the opportunity, she'd probably like to be at home. But for a number of reasons, she can't be. And one of those reasons is the student loan. Right, you know, right. Uh, we did a long talk before she did that, but she really wanted to go to this rather expensive art school that was out of state, and uh, we talked about that, and she she made that decision, mm-hmm. and I don't know that she totally regrets it. I think she I think she's happy with what she did, but nevertheless, those student loans, you, you just you yeah. have to really watch it. Yeah, it's, it's it's a burden, and I think you touched on something too that is an important point. If you know, as far as trying to guide our children or, or telling them where they need to go to school and and um, and being really a little more controlling, I think if we expect our children to be independent and we want them to make those choices, then we shouldn't be, like you said, 100% funding their education because it's kind of like picking and choosing which part of adulthood you want. You know, well, I want to make all the choices, but mom and dad are going to pay for it. And that doesn't really, to my way of thinking, I don't think that's really right. So I like that you kind of touched on that a bit as well. It is very difficult for a young person to just be able to put themselves through college, though, anymore. It's very difficult. But it can be a combination of things. I just Mm -hmm. don't believe in sending a kid to a school paying their full ride and basically having them only have to do the academics and then you right. know, have fun with their friends, uh, they, they need to also experience the responsibility part of it. Yes. Even if it's just paying for their own, you know, vehicle or, you know, cell phone and, you know, whatever, computer mm-hmm. time or, you know, mm-hmm. quote or something like that. But, um, but and again, you can, you can start out at junior colleges. And, and one place where there is a place for a parent to get a little more involved is if there simply isn't the money and isn't any particular way of doing things, then a parent might have to say, look, you know, you can live here at home and we'll help as much as you can and you have to have a job too. And because of that, you need to go to this particular college because it's the one that's driving distance from our house, you know. Mm -hmm. In a case like that, you know, it might be, you know, my way or the highway. (laughs) Right. Right. But Mary, I'm seeing people that parents, particularly the moms when they're finished homeschooling and now their children want to go to college, they, they're trying to go back to work full-time and find jobs and, and to pay the tuition, whereas I agree with you that I think the child who is now an adult, according to the law anyway, um, should have skin in the game and somehow and if it means they can't go to their premier college they want to go to, then they don't go. I just I agree with you totally because I don't see the uh, I don't think it's the right lesson to teach the right model to show that you know here's mom you you've homeschooled all those years she's done the work committed her life to it and now she's going to go strap herself with a full time job that clearly she didn't want or she would have done it sooner just to put you through yet another four years of school I agree with you both of my kids. Bear, uh, bore a lot of the load of their financial responsibility in college through internships, through jobs. Just and, and actually, both of them started working when they were teenagers. So, because we wanted them to have a good work ethic, we wanted them to understand the value of a dollar. And skin in the game is just so important. So, I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. And I think it's a message that moms need to hear out there, these homeschooling moms, because I'm hearing them say, "Well, oh, college, I'm going to have to go back to work full time." And to put them through college, and I don't, you know, I haven't been in the workforce in so long, and I'm thinking that's the exact time you should be able just to go and do different things that you'd want to do. Well, that again is very, very individual because there are some women who, after being at home for so many years, really crave 
you know, going out there and uh, and doing something different again. And that might be a part, I mean, a part or full time job. Or and if it is, and if they can help out with the college, a lot of moms, you know, moms, they're going to be happy to do that. But well, if it's yeah, they happen to go out and scrub floors for a living. You know, it's something low level where you're where you're not enjoying it and you're um and you're. Uh, making a low amount of money and all that kind of stuff just for job but that's not what you want to do but a lot of my friends actually are going back to college they're getting jobs they're going you know I'm I'm getting up there I'm 67 and I just am starting a private school so you know I have no plans to retire and I you know I won't be making a lot of money because that's not the reality we live with with the programs we have but um, but nevertheless I personally want to work you know until I'm 80, you know, or 90. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if they don't want to, again, right. said they should feel like they have to in order to pay for some high pollutant privacy. You know, yeah. yeah, and that's what I mean. You know, it's different to go and do something that's meaningful or something that you really want to do than feeling like you have to go and bear the load. And then, like, as you said, you know, the children just go and do their academics. You know, I think mm-hmm. there's a huge difference. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's definitely like you said, a personal, individual thing that just has to be weighed family by family. But I love the time in which we live. It's really exciting because, I mean, teenagers and kids even are able to to earn pretty good livings actually just using the internet. I mean, you see the opportunity with YouTube and these kids starting up these channels. Um, my husband was telling me the other day there's a girl that does makeup tips, and I think she pulls in like. A hundred thousand dollars a month, or something ridiculous. So, um, so we really do think that our kids have a lot more opportunities nowadays than ever before to really take advantage of some of that. And and even if we parents are kind of ignorant, they they probably know a lot more about how to make money with the internet than we we realize. So, I noticed that you have Ray Perry speaking at your conference. Yes, we do. She talks all about. She has a yep. whole organization there that that helps uh, families with entrepreneurship things, yes. mostly internet based. So I'm glad to see that you have her as a speaker at the conference. Yes, we had her last year as well, and we're really excited. I'm actually going to do a podcast with her uh, next week. So she's going to come on our show and kind of share with us a little bit more about that. But she's been a mentor of mine for several years now. And it really is, um, she's just kind of helped with, with my business mindset and that sort of thing. So so I'm excited to really introduce her to the homeschooling community as well. Because there are different, um, you know, everybody's situation is going to be different. And that won't necessarily be for everyone. Some kids are going to need to take the college route, but I think, again, just going back to the whole money issue, even if they have to go to college or desire to go to college, to have ways to bring in the income so that it's not this unreachable thing or putting an extra burden and stress on the family, I think is is just a wonderful opportunity that we have today. And you know, in the days long before the Internet, uh, and, of course, things were quite different back then in terms of how much college costs and everything. But when I went through, I always was doing something, and a lot mm-hmm. of it was entrepreneurial. It just wasn't Internet. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I made, I looked around and, and saw these kids living in the dorms, and uh, I started making big stuffed pillows um, for <laughs> them. Went to a, a place and got some stuff on uh, you know, a sale and got the materials and made these big stuffed pillows, and then I started making, um, uh, like, like, stuffed animals. And I, I couldn't keep those. I mean, they were they sold as fast as I had them. <laughs> and we used to have, my girlfriend and I started a leather uh, business back in the 60s when um, I, we were still in high school. And we were selling, like, leather vests and, you know, the bags that were very popular back then. Yeah. And, <laughs> and kept maintained that, and she, it's her business to this day. Oh, wow. Uh, That's so we, we, uh, we did a lot of this stuff. And then I also, I, I cleaned houses one summer, you know. I kind of nannied for a while, which I did not like, and uh, you know, I was always doing something. So uh, that's great. You know, yeah, I, I grew up with that. You know, if I wanted to go to school, I, nobody paid my tuition, you know, except me. And uh, my mother helped a little when she could. Mm-hmm. But uh, but of course, tuition was much less back in those days. But um, right, you know, we just did what we had to do to get me through. And uh, again, only one of my kids actually wound up with a student loan, and. Uh, all, the rest of them all got through for a combination of us doing what we could and them doing what they could and, you know, and, and 
two of them graduated from Christian private school, two of them from secular public universities, and one from a kind of a combination, a, a private art institute that's associated with a secular state university. So, um, you know, we've, we've done all of them, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we managed to get through them. So. That's great. Well, I'm going to kind of shift the conversation a little bit here, and I want to talk about something that we actually talked about a little bit yesterday when we were on the phone about this idea that, because from my experience in just talking to some of the homeschool pioneers, I was under the impression that in the very early days that because there was no curriculum, there were no curriculum companies that would sell to homeschoolers, that really homeschoolers had to piece things together, learn from real living books, um, learn from real life, and that sort of thing, much like what we're talking about with this concept of life schooling. And so I, I kind of say that, in a sense, they were able to do this much more easily they were able to to have that faith to to sort of learn from real life and piece things together because they didn't have much of a choice in the very act of homeschooling in of of itself was an act of faith because you know they could be thrown in jail or or what have you it wasn't even legal in the early days so give me your take on that because i know when we were talking yesterday you said that even so, there were still really two groups of, of thought almost and, and a big divide between those who were still kind of hanging on to that schooling model and then those who who were doing things in a more real-life application type of way. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, I, I really came into the movement in about 1983. All right. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't like way, way back. Now it was technically illegal. Uh, I, I was illegal for about six months. Um, after that, I became legal because I was in the process of getting certified to teach in Alabama at the time. And once I was certified, there was a, a way of being legal if you were a certified teacher at the time hmm. in Alabama. So I personally was only illegal for about six months, I think. Um, but uh, and. And prior to that time, there was more of an issue with the illegality and all that. And if you're really interested in that, uh, a man named Don Reed, uh, D-O-N-N, Reed, R-E-E-D, wrote a couple of really fascinating books, if anybody can find them. Uh, One's called Our Reeds Grow Free, where he's really talking about the really old days, you know, before there really was a homeschooling movement, when they were homeschooling. And uh, I remember a story about how their kids were out on the porch Excuse me. They, they were right by the uh, the bus stop for the public school, and when it rained, the kids would come up on their porch, and their kids were like hiding inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot of kids. <laughs> so, That's funny. Um, there was a time where the illegal was more of an issue. That I, I kind of came in just as that was not quite as big an issue again. Um, mm-hmm. and, in 1983 is about when when I started. That would have been my when my youngest son would have been five. I mean, my oldest son would have been five. Um, now, but of course, I also studied it. Uh, you know, I studied the history of the movement and all that sort of stuff. So it's not just what I'm saying is just based on what I just know personally. Right. What I do know is that from in the beginning of the movement, there seemed to be two threads coming together. One thread was coming from John Holtz. Um, his uh, book, Teach Your Own, uh, uh, came out in about, nine, about that time, 19, 1980-ish. Uh, and uh, he, of course, had written before that on school reform, things like uh, How Children Fail, How Children Learn, uh, a later book called Learning All the Time. So he's written a lot of books, one called Instead of Education. Uh, and uh, I started reading him myself, and uh, a lot of people were, and they had an art, a magazine back then called Growing Without Schooling, and originally John Holt was talking about, you know, kind of involved in the free school movement, and then there's just always issues when you were dealing with those free schools back in those days, um, and so finally he said, maybe we should just stop all this and just pull your kids out and teach them yourself. <laughs> so he was a major thrust on that side, and his ideas sort of led to what now, not then, but now is referred to as unschooling, um, where you where it's really a parental philosophy, again, of, of a looser structure, very few textbooks, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other end of the spectrum were people who basically 
1963, we had issues with God being taken out of the schools. And so, right from, the, you know, from that time on, there started being people who objected to the fact that God was not in the school system, and they were basically pulling them out primarily over that issue, and essentially, but they, they didn't have any problem with the educational philosophy of the school or how it was set up, so they basically tried to mimic a school structure in their own home, all right? Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't too long before a couple of the curriculum people caught on, and so you could buy a few things, you know, starting pretty early, uh, mostly at Beck and Bob Jones. They were the ones that dominated that market early on. But um, so a lot of them did start out with, you know, the setting up a schoolroom and the Pledge of Allegiance and, you know, <laughs> um, in a math from 9 to 10 and social studies from 10 to 11 and 15 minutes for recess and all that sort of stuff. Um, and on the, so, so you basically had these two threads that were kind of existing side by side and growing at about the same rate. And then in 1980, there was an event called Washington for Jesus where a lot of people descended on the Capitol and people started talking about how we as Christians needed to take back the education of our children, the politics, and all that sort of thing. And it was a major move of God, I think, right about that point, pushing a lot of Christians into the movement. Um, and so suddenly the structured side was growing by leaps and bounds, right? whereas the unschooling, you know, uh, loosey-goosey thing wasn't growing as fast. Uh, now some of us back then, and I would say this is in the 80s, mm -hmm. some people come to mind, Valerie Bent, myself, Kathy Duffy, Vicki Goodchild, um, Amanda Bennett, several of these people, we all kind of were feeling this schizophrenic thing, like we really didn't fit in with the structured Christian crowd, but we also really didn't fit in with some of the loosey-goosey uh, secular crowd on the John Holt side. Right. Uh, and uh, so we had this thing where we were trying to find that middle ground, and that's what gave rise to my own beliefs about relaxed homeschooling, where you're a family together, and to me, that's a very Christian concept, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. God made schools, he made families. And uh, so the idea of being a family and being a mom rather than a teacher, but the main tenets that I talk about relaxed homeschooling is that you're, you're a family, not a school, you're a mom, not a teacher, you're a dad, not a principal, and you have individual relationships with your kids, not, uh, not the classroom. And that, you can then treat okay. them as individuals and let your own goals drive you and be free to try this curriculum and throw it away when it doesn't work, you know, mm -hmm. and... Yeah. Know, get into some philosophy without having it take over your life. You know, um, one thing that comes to mind is Charlotte Mason. You know, and her great books, which influenced me a lot in the early days. But uh, so many people now are taking that and almost making it be so rigid that I can't believe that she approved when she saw it. Because you know, people asking like, I have this great book and my kids uh, like it, but is it really a living book? And like somebody. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, funny. that's, you know, I, I just feel it's really important no matter what you're led to and, you mm -hmm. know, what you want to do to remain a family and figure out what works for each of your kids. If anybody knew my Dan, they would ask, what, how can you possibly call it relaxed? Because he was Mr. Structure, you know. <laughs> he had books by the Dewey Decimal System when he was six. You know, I'm not, I'm not making funny. that up. Uh, the real Dewey Decimal System, he had checkout cards in the back of them that he made stuck at the so you couldn't take a book out of his room without checking it out first. And uh, if I didn't make him a schedule, which I didn't, he made his own, and at curriculum fairs, if I gave him, you know, 20 bucks, I'd give Sam 20 bucks, and he'd go get a, he'd get some books or maybe a puzzle or something. Dan would head straight for the, uh, the structured curriculum tables and buy himself a couple of workbooks, you know. So they're just all different, you know, and that's what you have to understand as a homeschooler, mm -hmm. no matter... What your philosophy is, if it's not working for one of your kids, you know, unless you want to do the same thing the public schools do, which is try to fit them all into one mold, mm -hmm. you've got to be flexible. Yeah, and go with what e exactly. Well, that's that's what I that's what I say with this whole life schooling model is that it's more of a mindset than really a philosophy because to me that's what it's all about is the freedom to do what you need to do for your family for your children, and it is funny how. I guess it's just the human nature. We want the checklist. You know, we, it, same thing with, with spirituality. We just want to be told, okay, do this, do this, have your devotions every day, and go witness, and go to church every Sunday, and I'm good. Check. 
check, check, check. And it's so, it's silly. It's like we just want to turn off our brains, but that's not the way we're supposed to do it. And we really need to evaluate what we're doing with our homeschooling and with our children and really see if it fits and works with our children and with their unique gifts and and how they learn, like you said, because I have one of those too. (laughs) My son was the same way. I mean, very academic, was reading very young and did his own schedule. I mean, it used to drive me crazy because I'm, I could not be more opposite than him. And I would tuck him in bed and every night he would say, mommy, what are we doing tomorrow? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) We're doing whatever, you know, but he wanted that schedule and the structure. And so I have to, I have to be willing to accommodate him with his need for structure as well as accommodate my daughter, who's more like me and more the artistic type, who if she really feels like writing today, then I need to let her just run with that and and write. So... I recommend uh, the new book that Chris Davis just wrote. Oh, I love it. Yes. Called Gifted Raising Children Intentionally. Yes, in fact... It's not about gifted children, per se. It's about recognizing your children's gifts. Yes. And... uh, and you know, recognizing that he he and I don't see eye to eye on one hundred every percent everything, mm-hmm. but uh, it, his uh, to me it's one of those life changing books, or yes. would be for a lot of people, just to kind of get a different perspective on you know being a, again a little less driven with your checklists and stuff, a little more receptive to what God has in mind for a particular you know, mm-hmm. child. Absolutely, um, so I really. Yes, I read that book last year, and after I read it, I contacted him and said, hey, we need to get these books into the hands of all of our conference attendees, because it really is a life-changing book, and and I just, um, it's one of, one of my top, in my top five, for sure, homeschooling books, so we actually gave it away last year at the conference, so, and I want to mention, too, while we're on the topic, to our listeners that we'll be giving away your book, The Relaxed Homeschool at our conference this year. So I'm excited to be able to get that into everyone's hands. So well, my, uh, my daughter, who is now 33, no, 30 maybe, um, and uh, lives in England and has a child of her own, she's the one that did the front cover for that one when she was only seven years old. Oh, that's so, great. I love that. <laughs> Life schooling right there. <laughs> Mary, I read, I read your book when I started homeschooling um, back daughter was born in 87 so you know by the time it was time for her to go to kindergarten is when I started thinking about homeschooling I was not I was not intending on that and so I had a great friend who um, put a lot of books in my hands to read John Holt all the ones that you've mentioned and when you wrote your what year did you write that book the relaxed homeschool about 1990 that's the year my son was born and she put your book in my hand. She put John Holt and um, Charlotte Mason books. And so I was greatly influenced by all of that. And, and it, I think that's really what saved me. I don't think that if I had tried, if I thought homeschooling meant school at home, I already knew through an experiment in first grade with my daughter that I did not want to do that the rest of her life or mine and or my son's. So, you know, but if I thought I had to do school at home all the time, I would have probably given up. She, my my first child was like y'all are describing your first children, wanting the structure, and then I'm not that way. So when I read the relaxing school, John Holt just got the whole different perspective. It really opened up the whole world as a as a whole, instead of segmented into we are you know we're doing the homeschool and now we're going to do our other life, you know, compartmentalizing everything. It was a really a wonderful thing to be able to be freed from that and to see life and learning all as a whole thing, a whole life approach. So mm-hmm. it was really wonderful. The one in my family that was that structure is actually my middle son. And oh, I was, um, was the sit under the apple tree and think about it type. <laughs> and he literally used to sit under the apple tree. We had an apple tree in the backyard at the time. And dig in the dirt and read and think. And that was, he did that for hours, all right? And he wound up with a degree in philosophy and a minor in geology. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. The way he brews beer for a living. <laughs> but he's a happy guy. <laughs> That's interesting. 
That's okay. That's actually what my speech is about at the conference, is as, as managing your expectations about the outcome. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and focus on the character and not killing off their motivation and giving them tools for learning, like, like you said, lifelong learning, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you need to do and not obsess over, oh my gosh, did I remember to uh, teach about reconstruction or, you know, like pyramids of Egypt or something. It's just mm-hmm. not that critical if you quote, miss something because you're going to. There's just too much. Right. Right. Well, I think there's that that fear of, and I know, Christy, you talk about our children as our product, and we we fear, like, oh, well, what if they're in a conversation someday and they stare blankly at the person when they mention JFK? I know my my kids, I'm laughing because my kids actually did that with my mom, and my mom's really supportive, so it it wasn't a big deal, but my mom said something about JFK, and they were just kind of like, huh? I'm like, guys, really, please, you're embarrassing me here. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, when we talked about it, they're like, oh, what did you, um, pardon? I said they'd have a lot more of those moments if they weren't homeschooled, trust me on this one. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Not, that's a good point. Kids in the public schools don't misunderstand great teachers and everything. I'm not putting right, down sure. that so much, quote, missed in the public school. Yeah. Let me tell yeah. you this, too, as far as your children's products go. I was once in one of the most structured churches I've ever been in. Uh, I was wearing the homeschool denim jumper because, you know, <laughs> I had to uh, in this place. And there was a whole bunch of women just standing around, and they were all talking, you know, and we were starting to make a few inroads on their rather structured belief system and everything. And my son walks in, who was about four years old, maybe five tops at the time. He comes in walking, singing at the top of his lungs. I don't expect my love affairs to last for long. <laughs> because my daughter had been into Vita at the time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thinking, oh, man. But, you know, I mean, I could have just died, and I could have just come from the door, but I thought to myself, you know what? You know, if they want to really get to know this kid, they'll know yeah. that that's, you know, he's that's just that, having right. music, yeah. you know. And uh, it did make me think about how much what music was on in my home a little bit. But the point <laughs> is, y- your kids are going to do that to you sometimes. You know, right. I've embarrassed, been embarrassed lots of times by my kids. And my one of my daughters went through a period where I did not like the way she looked. And when I went to curriculum fairs, I found myself hoping that she wouldn't want to come with me, which is a horrible <laughs> deal. But she, I knew her well enough to know that she was the person who, when... When she was into something, she had to dress like that. So she right. went for, I mean, obsessively. So she went for weeks dressed like a little girl from the prairie when she was reading The Laws of the Prairie. <laughs> and then she for weeks wearing my husband's old Eagle Scout uniform when she was into something or other. <laughs> and at this point, she happened to be into uh, music and stuff that, um, that the people were dressed in a certain manner. And, you know, and had certain type of look to them and everything. And I didn't like it, but I knew that it was a phase. And that if mm-hmm. I just, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I never had any boundaries. I certainly did. Right. But I didn't want to squeeze them so tightly that she would, you know. Right, right, right. Back, you know, in the real. And so mm-hmm. sure enough, that, you know, she left that phase behind after a while and, you know, 
Yeah. Now she's in the phase of being a semi-professional wife and mother. You just know your own kids. And exactly. by who they are. Yes, know? yes. Right. It's true. It's true. I mean, we need to value and appreciate them for who God made them to be and give that grace when they're maybe not exactly what we want. But that's where that whole letting go and not being controlling, we have to trust them at a certain point to the Lord and just pray for them and you know just respect the things that they're interested in because they're individuals they don't have to look and act exactly like us <laughs> so well we're going to kind of go ahead and wrap it up in a moment but I just wanted to ask you one last question if you can just tell us and I know you've touched on it a bit already but tell us a little bit more about your organization Archers for the Lord and how you see this resource center fitting into the relaxed homeschooling model? Well, um, you know, nowadays there are a lot of places that have, you know, begun springing up all over that are two-day schools of various types. There's, there's all sorts of different ones, mm-hmm. many of whom are a little bit on what they call a university model or a hybrid school or that type of thing. Um, you know, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not here to put down anything because I believe in lots and lots of options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them tend to be a little more, um, a little more school-like in the sense that they they tend to go home with a bunch of homework. You know, um, right. in one particular case, there's one nearby here, and personally, I believe when it's Christmas break, I don't give any homework. And then this one school gave them a ton of homework because it was Christmas break. You know, oh wow! So there's there's a different type of mindset at some of them. Our what we've always tried to do, and we've had a resource center. I, I opened it in the late 90s, I think middle to late 90s, uh, ran for 10 years, and then we shut down for 10 years, and I reopened a couple of years ago uh, in a different location. Um, but our resource center have always been meant for places, that, for people who really want to homeschool and want to maintain their own control and aren't obsessed with things like accreditation and things like that, but who just, you know, maybe they, maybe they can do math really well, but they don't want to do a lab science. Or maybe they like doing lab sciences, but they're horrible at math. Or they're good at both of those, but they don't feel capable of helping their kids learn to become good writers or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So we just have a lot of uh, options, classes, especially for the teens, uh, with the idea of maybe you take one or two classes there. Uh, some people take a lot, and that's not necessarily the way I intended it to be. Um, and sometimes I wonder, you know, I wonder how that's working for them. Hmm. But uh, that that was the main difference, that we're there for that purpose. The other thing is that uh, I think all of my teachers at this point, and I try to keep it this way, are homeschooling mothers or homeschooling mothers emeritus who have kids mm-hmm. moved on. Uh, in one case, uh, last year I had a homeschooling dad uh, teach biology. So uh, we used to have a homeschooling dad who was band director years ago. So a few times we've had dads, too, and once in a while we'll have uh, a person who is a young person who was a homeschooler. Um, I think the first one I'm having this this go-around, I'm having a young lady come in next year to teach Spanish who is uh, in her young 20s. She just got married, and she doesn't have kids yet, but she intends to homeschool. So basically Mm -hmm. I look for people with a heart for homeschooling to be the teachers without an obsession about their credentials and you know, all that sort of thing. Right. Uh, because I, I feel it's very important to keep that that ambiance, you know, being sort of family-like. Now, obviously, if they're taking chemistry or algebra 2 or something, there's going to be homework. You know, it's not mm-hmm. that I'll never get homework at that level. Um, but even then, I try to be realistic and to understand that kids have a lot going on these days. And, you know, I all grades remain in the, in the, uh, is the responsibility of the parents themselves. You know, we'll give feedback, uh, but we don't try to say, well, you got to be in Algebra 2. You know, no, mm-hmm. that's the parent to decide that. Um, next year, we're doing something different. We're actually starting a private Christian school, uh, which is Charlotte. I'm calling it Charlotte Mason Inspired, a combination of Charlotte Mason and my relaxed family uh, ideas mm-hmm. uh, in the church across the way. And this is going to be a new venture for me. It's an actual school this time. But I'm getting a lot of requests to come in part-time. And I told them all, after I get enough paid students to pay the bills, then we'll see how much room there is, and maybe I'll offer a little part-time homeschool involvement. 
But that's going to be really little children again, and I haven't worked with really little children in years, so that's going to be interesting. <laughs> well, but I, I'm doing that because of Common Core. I just can't stand the way, well, you know, that's such a huge topic, we won't get into it. Yeah. But, um, but I can't stand the uh, way that these young children are being yeah. forced to uh, try to do abstract thinking. And yeah. Watch- I totally yeah. agree. I think that's a wonderful thing that you're doing with your your school opening up, and yeah, it's always still heavily dependent on the individual teachers, mm-hmm. principal, and stuff. But some things you just can't get away from because it's mandated by the uh, national people. But uh, but it's still yeah. so heavily dependent on the individual teacher your child has, and. Um, you know, parents just really need to know what's going on. They yeah. can't just assume it's okay to send them someplace. They need right. to know exactly what they're being taught because it still varies quite a bit from one location to another. Right. You know? Well, that's the thing is ultimately no matter how a person chooses to educate, the Bible says that we, we as parents are responsible for the education. And so if we hold that responsibility, we need to take it very seriously. And like you said, know the teachers very well and know what's, what's being expected of our children. And, um, so yeah, I appreciate you, um, saying that and and sharing that. Christy, do you have anything that you'd like to add as we wrap up another podcast episode? Uh, no, just that I'm very privileged, um, to with you, Mary, and to, to hear your thoughts on these things, um, especially since I, you know, was um, so influenced by your your uh, philosophy and your book uh, years and years ago. So it's been a real honor and uh, privilege to be able to, to speak with you today. Thank you. I would also like to direct people to our website. Yes, please do. Uh, which is www.archers for the Lord. A R C H E R S F O R thelord.org uh, if you happen to type in .com that'll bring it up also uh, so there's a few articles on there talks about our organization and for anybody uh, I, I realize most of you people are probably in North Carolina but here in Cherokee County, Georgia we are we have our resource center and our schedule and all that is up there on the page and I will have a stuff on the Charlotte Mason Inspired Private School shortly That's great. Yes, and I would encourage any of our listeners who are in the area to definitely check into um, Archers and what you're doing, Mary, because I think it sounds like a wonderful, you just, I love your philosophy, and I think you're doing wonderful things for the homeschooling community. So definitely, listeners, check that out. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. uh, episode. I just also want to point out, we also have a Facebook page and a group. The page for the center is facebook.com uh, uh, slash relaxed home school mm-hmm. and the arch, the archers group is relaxed home schoolers dash archers that's the facebook group where you can talk to other people of like-minded so forth okay great thank you thank you for joining us mary and we're going to go ahead and close out another episode of life as a life schooler so we just want to wish all of our listeners happy life schooling